0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, my name is Sarah and I'll be your host for this episode of the New Books Network. We are here with William Duffy, an Associate Professor and Coordinator of Writing, Rhetoric and Technical Communications at the University of Memphis to chat about his book Beyond Conversation, collaborative, or Collaboration and the Production of Writing, which as a writer and editor myself, Surprisingly, not terribly versed in writing philosophy for some reason, um, gave me lots of insights. So, I'm excited to dive in. So, to start, could you maybe introduce yourself a little bit more and sort of describe your motivations for this book?
0: Sure. Uh, As you mentioned, I'm an associate professor at the University of Memphis. For the last three years, I served as the coordinator of writing, rhetoric, and tech comm here. I actually, this fall, I'm moving into a new role, I'm the director of graduate studies in the department. Um, but yeah, uh, this is my, my eighth year here at the university of Memphis. And this project originally started as a dissertation, um, in which I was primarily interested in researching the history of collaborative writing theory, because in graduate school, if you, if you pursue writing studies or rhetoric and composition, which, which is my field, it's fairly common that you're going to read a handful of texts that focus on the um, the social turn in, in the social sciences and how that influenced collaborative learning theory. And, um, and it, in, in, and by the time I was in graduate school, it just was sort of an assumption that collaboration is good. There's really nothing bad that we can say about it. And here are, you know, the, the three or four articles or books that you should read so that you know that this was one time an issue of debate and let's move on. And, um, and a lot of that stuff was really dated by the time I got to graduate school. Um, and just by a sheer dumb luck, I fell into an opportunity to co-author something with a friend of mine. And I found that experience not only invigorating and exciting, but I also noticed how different it was from what I assumed it would be based on what I had read about it. And so I wrote this dissertation really just as an as an attempt to kind of come to terms with where... Um, where the status of collaboration is sort of a critical concept in the humanities, especially um, where it was currently, and and then um, yeah, and that kind of set this, the project aside until I got here to the University of Memphis, where I was teaching graduate students on a regular basis, and 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 I realized that this was a and I was writing a lot more with others, and I realized that I wanted to return to this project, and so kind of started from scratch, and and here's where we are now with this book.
1: Nice. I guess I'm curious, like what were some of the misconceptions or the limitations
0: of like the previous theories or some of the older theories? Yeah. So um, primarily, um, I I would say that that there were two concepts that really dominated how, and I think still dominate how a lot of graduate students in in communication programs and English and writing rhetoric programs, how they're oriented to the work of collaboration is sort of a critical idea. The first one is that um, collaboration is like that idea of like the turtle all the way down in space. Like it's just, everything is collaborative. Um, And so like the first chapter of my book asks you know, the title is Ask a Question, like is all writing collaborative? Because that's what we were taught originally. Um, And that's what a lot of that, that sort of early theory in the late 80s and 90s kind of propagated is this idea that, Because of the social turn, this idea of discourse communities and whatnot, um, all writing is social through and through. And then somehow we got, we we went from all writing is social to all writing is thus collaborative, which I mean, you know, it's, it's a pithy claim. Um, But in practice, I really didn't know what difference that, that, that claim made because on the one hand, if all writing is collaborative, then why do we even collaborate in the first place? Why do we even aspire to teach students to co-author if, if, if it makes no qualitative difference whatsoever to how we understand what the product of that writing is, and, and where it comes from? The other reason is that I think it like kind of occludes actual collaborative writers. Um, you know, if you say all writing is collaborative, then what makes people who actually write collaboratively? What makes their work special or different? So that's the first idea that I was questioning. The second idea really sort of stemmed from where a lot of that debate in the 80s and 90s focused when, when scholars were talking about collaborative learning. And that is sort of the role of conflict and consensus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where there was pushback, and I think some of it was fair, it was in this idea that that collaboration can promote groupthink at the especially in 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 context of let's say post secondary education at the expense of um, students identities and interests and backgrounds mm-hmm. and experiences and voices and which makes a lot of sense right like if you if you have um, you know if you're working on a group project and there's a couple students in that group who come from backgrounds that maybe give them certain advantages and privileges there's a chance that you're that they're going to drown out the ideas and opinions of their group members i mean that that idea is why i think so much of us kind of grew up hating group work especially in college um it's where that idea of like you know i hate group work because i'm the one that does all the you know all the work whatever i think that that's where it comes from but one of the ideas i was kind of pushing back against is that You know, the the primary questions that were leveraged at the idea of collaboration, especially by um, writing studies theorists, you know, focused on this idea of, like, how do we balance the need for consensus alongside the the function of of conflict? And and so I just, you know, I realized that, like, again, you know, certainly some of those questions are important, but at the end of the day, that doesn't really help us understand what collaborative writing entails, especially what that rhetorical labor looks like nor does it really um, underscore the advantages that it offers um, to to writers, especially developing writers. I mean, I, I get at this, especially if anyone who, who picks up my book, like all of this kind of grows out of and returns to the task of teaching writing and and why, so, and what sort of we aspire to do as teachers of writing.
1: Yeah, I definitely, or the, the thing I think that was like early on in one of the chapters, you're like, oh, if you don't teach collaboration, well then students are probably gonna hate it Um, yes absolutely so it makes me wonder sort of how there's so many things that are going into this even like even just like six minutes into this it's like a lot of things going on between like the point of collaboration like collaboration versus community collaboration versus communication like sort of teasing apart these differences but then also on top of that you have not only like the collaborators but the thing itself and like sort of like the writing and the what is the objects of discourse sort of having agency within that but then also somehow turning all of that into a product or something that comes out of that like what I guess for the one is just like a lot there um just I just want to acknowledge that um <laughs> so it's impressive to just put this into this text but it also makes you wonder, like, sort of what processes or what maybe products should be focused on instead or, like, what processes would maybe help um, students learn how to use this process better to, like, engage and, like, have those competitive ideas and overcome them.
0: Yeah. So I, I think this is a good point when I when I should say, since you've read the book, you know this, but it, but but it's worth saying to anyone who's interested in it is that this is very much a book filled with ideas and not necessarily a book filled with practices um, it's a book that um, you know my primary audi- audience are i, I think my or the, the 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 primary audience i imagine for the book are uh, are graduate students our are, are um, faculty who are interested in co-authorship and collaboration but have a lot of questions or experience or don't have a lot of experiences with it but also, it's for experienced co-authors who have never really been invited or even thought about kind of owning and claiming the processes and all the sort of like the rhetorical ecologies that produce mm-hmm. their work. I think you know one and I talk about this in the in the introduction to the book. But one of the problems with talking about co-authorship um, in higher education is that very often it's limited to whatever our disciplines have established in terms of what quote unquote kind of counts. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's much easier to talk about individual writing as a complex activity than it is collaborative writing because at the end of the day, right, it's all about whose name goes first. What's your number? How do we account for who did what? Um, In some departments, right, like you're told outright, you know, that collaborative work isn't gonna be as valued as much, and so, and so th- that's why this book is a book of ideas. Because really, I want to provide a lot of um, material that co-authors can use to defend and promote their their work and and, and what makes it unique. But I will say um, when it comes to practices. So um, last night actually was the first time my first time teaching a face-to-face class since fall 2019 and it's Mm -hmm. a graduate seminar called academic genres and scholarly publication and it's essentially a course I like to kind of humorously say it's like the first year writing class for grad students except we have first semester master students and as well as students who are wrapping up their coursework and and PhD programs and so we're you know I've designed this class as a community of writers and, and yesterday I kind of stressed the point that, um, in this class, what really matters is, is the experience of writing and how we experiment mm-hmm. with it. And as I was kind of explaining that to students, to, to the, to grad students, you know, to these adults in the classroom, I realized that that's really become my guiding philosophy for every class I teach, whether, whether it's a first year writing class, whether it's a you know a technical editing class for undergraduates or or again like you know this this grad level publishing class um and so this book really kind of focuses on the importance of leaning into the experience of mm-hmm. collaborative writing as such and trying to garner as much as that as possible and um you know i I'm, I'm very much that instructor who you know will give a you know give an assignment or a prompt and when a student raises their hand to say like how long should it be? I'm that annoying instructor who says, well, I don't know. I don't care. Like, I don't know. Like as long as you should be right. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very allergic to anything that reeks of arbitrary standards or guidelines. I hate with a passion, busy work. And I also hate with a passion when, which is why, and you get it like, you know, even, even you get it when you, when you send stuff out for peer review, sometimes people are writing back with really sort of like arbitrary comments that are, you know, that don't make any sense to point out at this stage in the process. And so, um, and so, yeah, so I think that like, as I was, I think that part I'm able to articulate this philosophy of teaching in part, because I wrote this book, because when I was writing this book, I was struggling with the, with the, so what, right? Like, like here I am, you know, critiquing, Social constructionist epistemology, and I'm critiquing a lot of the sort of dominant um, theories of collaboration to emerge out of that epistemology. And I'm talking about the importance of this thing called post-qualitative inquiry that social sciences that's grown in social sciences. And, and and I'm thinking like, yeah, but people people are going to want to read this book, or some of the people who want to some of the people are going to want to read this book and and actually have a roadmap. Or guidelines or suggestions for for how to co-author better, or how to experiment with collaboration in more kind of creative and rhetorically inventive ways. And so, I mean, I I, I did I do talk about some particular practices, but I really do sort of stress that I mean, like all writing, like no no one process is going to work every time. And, and I think I say this early in the book, you know. Collaborative writers, just like individual writers, have to invent a way to write together each time they sit down to compose every single time, because the thing is, our context, our, the, you know, the constraints and resistances that we're up against are always changing. And so, you know, just because I am a successful collaborative writer with my friend, John, doesn't mean that I can just easily step into another co-authoring ecology with two people I don't know that well and just sort of you know jump into it everything that I've learned about collaboration with John might not be worth a damn in that context and so so yeah so I think that like I mean if, if anything I'm really stressing and trying to invite people to experiment with the messiness and and not view mm-hmm. that messiness as a constraint but sort of lean into it yeah I, I definitely like that I think
1: uh maybe maybe students who or maybe even other people who just like want there to be an easy, an easy solution to things. It's yeah. like a,
0: right. darn it. Like I want well, there to, I need to get this done or like, well, and, and, and that's something that I think is actually, I mean, I, I'm glad you pointed it out because I mean, for people that want that sort of procedural guidance, um, and I think I used the example of, um, in, in tech comm, collaborative writing is quite normal, especially in like post-secondary classrooms. I mean, if you're majoring in professional writing, I mean, you're used to, you know, quote unquote group work or like team papers or whatever. It's very common. But when you look at the educational resources available, especially textbooks, collaboration in a lot of those conversations is a euphemism for project management. And so, you know, when you're, when you're reading like this idea of like, you know, if if you're reading a chapter in a textbook on, you know, and it's the chapter is called collaborative writing, what it's really about is the importance of like making a schedule and deciding on procedures for staying in touch and deciding who's going to be in charge of what. And all of that stuff is certainly important, but that doesn't actually tell us how to write with other people. Um, And I think there's a reason why, because at the end of the day, if we're being honest, we can't teach people how to write with, under, write with others any more than we can teach someone to write by themselves. You know, Stephen King famously said that, you know, you become a writer by just reading a lot and writing a lot. And that sort of was mm-hmm. what I tell my students, you know, I can tell you what works for me, but at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to make you a better writer is just to start doing it and do it a lot. And it's the same thing if you're exper- experimenting with, with collaboration, you know, um, I I can't tell you a method that's going to work, but I can give you the space to experiment and to take risk and to sort of pursue those little nuggets of, of, of text and ideas that are the product of, you know, more than one mind coming together. And so, so yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm glad you pointed it out because, because I think that, I think that's really important that even though, There are resources available that, you know, supposedly teach students how to collaborate. What they're really just teaching is project management. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and and two, maybe some of that, like project management or sort of like the collaborative planning stages can sort of Mm -hmm. maybe like too proceduralize the process and you can sort of get lost in the, calendar invites rather than actually doing the writing um something I I feel like I also took away maybe in terms of like two advices that you give is like one is like slowing down the writing process and like Mm -hmm. making but like in so doing you're like making it more like observable like you're watching Mm -hmm. the practice and then sort of alongside that you, you say like to like be able to trace it or um sort of like document alongside or even within the writing itself like how things have changed or like what works and what doesn't.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. That that's you're speaking to sort of, I mean, I, I try to, what I try to do early in the book is, is kind of point out that like why a lot of people are resistant to collaborative writing are the exact reasons or, 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 or sort of speak to what, what are its most important resources. One of them being that collaborative writing, just it slows down the writing process. Right. And in that slowdown, it makes our writing more observable. Um, you know, if anyone, if anyone listening has tried to co-author before, you know that, you know that that process of like, you know, sharing an initial draft or you're sharing, like either you're sharing like you're sharing a single draft, like let's say in, in Google Drive, or you're sending your co-author like a Word, you know, like it's incredibly anxiety-inducing, especially if this is your first or second time or whatever, and. Um, And in part, because like, again, when you're just producing these drafts by yourself, you don't, you don't, you know, the fact that these are drafts don't register in the same ways as they do when you're sharing this early writing with someone else. And and so in that way, again, it slows down the writing process. And so you start, you suddenly realize it's like, oh, my partner is really good at editing on the fly. I can't Mm -hmm. do that. Um, Does that make me like, am I? am I, am I like dragging this, this collaboration down? I mean, you know, again, like it's in that, it's in that slowdown where we start to sort of doubt ourselves and, and get frustrated with the process. Um, but yeah. And so one of the remedies to that, I think is, is, is what I call the, I think it's the, the practice, you know, I gave it a, a name cause you have to name things. Um, I called it, <laughs> it parallel composition, but it's this practice that I started with my friend John and I, I've kind of been you know, when, when I work with grad students who are co-authoring or something, I always sort of recommend you do this. But it's based on this idea from Latour's actor network theory called, called sort of writing down risky accounts. When essentially I just encourage co-authors to open, just to create a shared document where you literally just, whenever, you know, the spirit moves you, so to speak, you go in there and you just make some notations of what you're thinking about, what you're feeling, what this writing session was just like, what questions you have, and it's and sort of what makes this parallel composition risky is that one you're you're undertaking this as you're writing the other thing, so it's not a process narrative that you compose afterwards. Um, it's not something for anyone else either. This is not you know you're not going to go on you're not going to go on and publish this risky account. And the third thing is that it has no purpose or preconceived end. You don't know if anything you're you're noting is gonna be useful. But one of the things that Latour says when he explains the value of risky accounts is that the moment you write something down, it gains materiality. It becomes an object that you can then go and engage with as an object, which sort of in the language of this book means that once something is sort of objectified in that way it can start resist and resisting our own intentions. And and that I think is really, really important for the, the theory of cloud of writing that I that I outline in this book. And so yeah, so I mean, I mean, and, and and I would, you know, I wager that most people, if you think like this is extra work, it's no more extra work than what you're already doing if you're gonna co-author something. Just having a document open where you're both just going in and making, just asking questions or not even going back and answering, just you just literally keeping a registry of everything that is slowing you down or questions you have so that if you want to at some point You can then go back with your co-author and look at this registry and try and think about do any of these kind of objective resistances, did any of them really have a material impact on the outcome? Or can we use this list to help sort of name the method we used to compose? Or can we use this, this, this list of objections to kind of help explain or justify to let's say a tenure and promotion committee why no i'm not going to highlight the parts that i wrote right like that kind of thing mm-hmm.
1: yeah i like that i definitely i've definitely felt like that vulnerability in in sharing drafts like it's it's very like almost scary to like yeah. really put put yourself out there and be like oh no these are my words oh no but that 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 kind of made me think of how like open peer review has like sort of changed what people say in, yeah. in their critiques too, because it's like, it's in the open. You can't just like hide behind something like your words yeah. are sort of out there. And, but the, I think if anything like those, and and I think that that, that could be a, a topic of like, what, what's the, what's the role in making these processes transparent? Um, yes. Like I Absolutely. like like I think two of the examples like collaborative futures and like writing the unreadable text. Yes. Those sound like very maybe like maybe you could describe what those are briefly, but to me those sound like almost like a House of Leaves style insanity, mm-hmm. but like really interesting like conversations about like the text alongside the product yes, itself yeah. and that just so sounds there, really there interesting thing to share I these like risky accounts
0: spend some even time if they're maybe not engaging to be with shared, but
1: like that they could be
0: yeah yeah so 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 as you mentioned so 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 these two texts that i engage with in the book one of them is a book called collaborative futures and the other one is an article a collaboratively written article um it's a collaborative autoethnography that was published in. Um, the online journal, Hybrid Pedagogy, a number of years ago. And I look at both of those texts because they both kind of turn themselves inside out as collaborative texts. That first one, the book Collaborative Futures, um, was produced in a writing sprint, I think. And I'm not going to, the you know, I, I forget the details, but there was a group of, I think, six or seven writers and there was a coder I think and like a team leader and they hold up I think at the the first version I think they were in Germany for maybe like 72 hours or something and their entire goal was to write a book about collaboration that kind of pushed back its its emphasis was to sort of push back against sort of the the ways that web 2.0 had invited people to sort of nominally embrace the open web and Web 2.0 tools and ways of um, sort of again like creating a more open, democratic sort of global society. When what they wanted to point out was, you know, like the the groups that were sort of most notorious for their collaborations, like that, like the hacker group Anonymous, right? Like they actually like are really bad models of collaboration because their processes are hidden. They don't want the agency of collaboration to have any sort of um history and and yeah and so and so I, I look at these texts as examples of ways that so as i said earlier you know when you have this if you maintain a risky account or a parallel with composition um you know the the, the 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 only audience is yourself and your co-authors or whatever like there's no there's no public for it really but what these two texts do and their authors is they kind of i mean They don't use these terms, of course, but they kind of take these risky accounts that they have been um, maintaining and sort of weave them into the published public versions of their text, which make these documents, and I I, I should probably say, I should have said this originally, if you go and look at either of these documents, they are weird. They are weird texts. Um, And I mean that in the most generous and like exciting way I can, you know, like, (laughs) <laughs> Initially, like I, I was turned off by them in part because I just didn't understand them. Like, why, you know, why is this group of educators who publish this article in hybrid pedagogy? Why are they linking to a Google Doc that was the first version of the article that they never finished? And why are they like like why are they making this private writing public? I had a lot of trouble understanding that until I really started to kind of embrace the the, the, the idea that, you know, that collaborative writers should should be the ones who get to name and qualify what that work entails for themselves. And so I I hold up those two texts. as just sort of models for how different kinds of team writer, teams of writers can be deliberate about not just Writing together, but also really taking ownership of those processes and naming those processes.
1: Mm -hmm. I know, like in the in the unreadable text, when you said that there's like over like 100 marginal comments, and I I can also anticipate, or I would imagine that trying to even parse through them, if you're not like aware of the context, like it just probably just makes no sense.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, no, it 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 does make no sense, which, which again sort of goes against you know the idea of why like of publishing to begin with right like you know you're always told to keep the audience in mind and so Mm -hmm. what's happening in these texts that there is you know that part of these texts are literally unreadable in that sort Mm -hmm. of scholarly sense of reading that a lot of us associate with with writing right which is that like the the audience gets to understand that you know there's a clarity there that's accessible and it's and, and and that and now i would argue that you know, like writing the unreadable untext. Like I would say that there is a clarity there for an audience to sort of engage with, but but it's not it's not one that is um, inviting in the sense that there's going to be that like you're not going to have any trouble making sense of what's going on there. It is gonna it is gonna sort of ruffle your 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 affective feathers, so to speak. <laughs>
1: Yeah, always about like the process and experience of the thing. But that yeah. it also sounds like that would go back to like each collaboration is different. And absolutely. Um,
0: yeah.
1: like a, a different a different group of authors writing the on text yeah. piece would be a totally different experience absolutely. and a very different book. Um
0: absolutely.
1: But sort of going back to the risky accounts thing, I liked what you said about like um sort of turning that into or like maybe, maybe it doesn't seem like apparently useful, like as you're doing it, like making these risky accounts, but then like you can turn it into something else. Like you said, like, oh, you can analyze it and be like, oh, this is why we should get funding or like, this is why we should publish in this other way. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of makes me wonder if, or if and how, like at an institutional level, like what would be sort of like required to sort of change that like academic economy into... And like sort of have it buy into or value that like process-based collaboration mm-hmm. instead of having everything be so like um, hierarchical or yeah. Um, metricized.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a really good question, and if I, you know, if, if I had a clear answer and a plan, I, I would be I would be out, you know, knocking down doors right now with it to 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 see these changes enacted. I I think there are two things that, that matter. Um, one is normalizing collaborative writing in ways that it just really isn't yet in higher education. And I mean that not only in the, on the pedagogy side, the way that we teach, but also in the ways that we kind of conduct the business side of collaboration as academics. Um, I talk and I think early in the book I talk about how I kind of how I use terms but like right now for example I'm conflating co-authorship and collaborative writing. When really right like when when you have a group of you know I'm I'm I mentioned this in the book when you have like 500 biologists contributing to an article and they're all listed as co-authors right like that the idea of co-authorship there means something very different than like collaborative writing in that you know like mm-hmm. romantic social constructionist sense of a you know a community coming together um because you know the politics of co-authorship is very much about you know it's wrapped up into the politics of citation practices and you know funding and, and that kind of stuff but but i would say that like again the first thing is just normalizing collaborative writing as a practice and so um you know as someone who teaches writing for example i mean i'm at the point now when i you know I I don't want to necessarily I don't want to necessarily say I teach collaborative writing in every class, but I do absolutely incorporate it and I make it an option for everything students write. So, you know, um, if if for some strange reason like a high school student is listening to this podcast and they're going to enroll in a first year writing class I teach, you should know that you're going to have the option to co-author everything in that class if you want to. Now, here's the thing. Students don't. That's never happened because, again, collaborative writing is not a normalized practice. High school students, middle school students are not invited to co-author. I mean, I have a, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and I think about seven is when collaboration goes out the window in writing. You know, in preschool, yeah, you sit down and you write stories together, right? Um, exactly, with <laughs> scarecrows. <laughs> but it, it, that goes out the door early in, in, in our sort of formal education. And so I think one of the first things we just need to do is just, again, it doesn't mean creating, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to necessarily teach it. It's just creating the space and opportunity for students to co author. That's the first thing you have to do. And then I think the second thing is um, if you do embrace collaborative writing in your own work, you should strive to. Um, to contribute to what in the book I call sort of minor literatures of collaboration, which is sort of taking, like not necessarily taking those risky accounts, but sort of, you know, if 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 you have a co-author, for example, that you often write with, why not, you know, um, spend a couple months producing a, to use this term, a weird text. That really sort of explores your writing process and tries to tease out something useful or interesting for other people interested in co-authorship, because there are lots of venues where where you can publish these things, right? And so, you know, when I was going up for tenure and promotion in my department, and I should say in my own department, my colleagues have a very generous attitude towards collaboration, even though we are a very traditional English department in a lot of ways. But I mean, it was kind of hard. You know, because so much of my work focused on collaborative writing theory, it was kind of impossible for anyone to question the value of right co-authorship <laughs> that I was doing, right? Because it's I mean, to do so would be going against the very arguments that I, you know have published about. And so um, I think again, it just comes down to if you if you do have the space to to write about the work of your co-authorship with someone, you know, there are avenues for making that public, even if it's not public in like a peer reviewed sense, but just making that work public, because I think one of the reasons why collaborative writing isn't normalized is for these reasons we talked about earlier, which is the only discussion of it as a as a kind of work is in terms of, you know, process or in terms of project management. We rarely get to see how the sausage is made, so to speak with real collaborative writers. And so to to make some of that work public, I think is is how you sort of start to if you're not changing the norms, you're at least trying to make those practices a little bit less mysterious.
1: Yeah. I feel like uh, I've been thinking about like I think it's Ivan Illich has like the idea of shadow work. Yes. And how absolutely. like there's just so many things that you just don't see that go into yeah. like whatever the final draft or the final book but I, I I do wonder, and maybe it's a little cynical, but I wonder if making those those things public in in any sense like be it a be it a traditional publication yeah. or even a blog form, if those things could then just become like commodified as well, and like yeah. it's sort of wrapped into like the academic economy of like oh that, that counts as a publication, so. Yeah. That's another another numbers game. Yeah, it is.
0: It. I mean, it is. But again, I think this is where I. I mean, I am. Um, you know, this book owes a lot to new materialist ontology and philosophy, hmm. and um, and I think that you that 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 we can look to those traditions to sort of it to to see how some of those writers and scholars are kind of turning that those philosophies. Into actual practices that trouble some of those norms, and so, for example, I have a colleague at the University of Memphis uh, who teaches in the educational um, philosophy. She teaches in the School of Education, but um, and actually, I mentioned this in one of the footnotes of a book. Um, she um, is a post-qualitative theorist and has developed. Um, she she's developed a couple methods for doing um, kind of interview work that kind of troubles a lot of the, um, the positive positivist associations that, that, that get circulated in qualitative inquiry. And, um, and in, in one of these pieces, she talks about the role of, of her animal companions as these sources of agency for her writing. In fact, in rhetoric and composition, um, uh, there, there's a scholar, um, uh, who just recently published a book called "Acknowledging Writing Partners." Her name is Laura Michichi. M- M- I-, I hope I pronounced her last name correctly. But you know, it's a book about acknowledge, uh, you know, b- book acknowledgements and how so often it's mm-hmm. you know things like pets or landscapes or pieces of furniture or cups of coffee you know, in, in a way, sort of almost humorously get acknowledged. But, but when you see the, the ways that these things are proliferated and acknowledged, acknowledgement, you realize they actually have a material effect on writing. But, you know, to get back to this example, um, this, my colleague ended up um, a tribute, ended up sort of using her cats, her, her animal, the, these two cats, she listed them as co-authors on this article. And it was published, right? It's it's li- literally like you know these two cat names and her last name and then her name. And mm-hmm. if you look, you know, if you look up this article in scholarly databases, these three authors come up. And it's not unless you read the article that you realize that two of these authors are cats. And what actually ended up happening was um, Fox News got a hold of this article, and there was a, a segment on it in which. You know, of course, these hosts just, you know, it was the traditional sort of this is what your tax dollars is going to. How silly is this? Mm-hmm. But again, like in the context of this conversation, I love how this how how this writer um, really sort of leaned into the topic of her inquiry in a way that in, like, in a way that deliberately disrupted some of these normalized practices of citation. I mean, yeah, you could certainly like. I mean, some people might write it off as strictly performative or whatever. That's fine, you know. But but again, the, the fact that you know it slows us down. To go back to this earlier sl- this earlier theme, that the fact that I have to stop and like think, oh, that's interesting and odd and weird that these cats are listed as co-authors. But again, it's in that slowdown. It's in that pause where that work of change and that reorientation starts to do its work slowly, but it's doing its work.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I really, I really like that. That example. Um, I, I don't think I have heard of it. Um, that's just, it's really, really cute to think of. And, yeah. and it's like so important that like there, there's so many things beyond the beyond like just writing or beyond like the two, three people who are right the collaborators that yes. are like play a role. Like it, it also makes me like it, like, it's the coffee or it's the cats or it's like Google docs or yeah. it's like the weather outside that it's all impacting. Yeah, I guess my little bait for Google docs, it makes me sort of like, uh, or, or I think you, you introduced like the, the concept of like triangulation, I think where it's mm-hmm. like you have like the author's, but also, like they end up interacting with, yes. like the the objects of discourse and how, like these things sort of like take on a thing of their own. Um, mm-hmm. And I also that makes me wonder, like, what you think, sort of like what those like the autonomy, agency of those objects are, and then also just sort of like how to create like either like a digital or like a workspace, like how how that sort yeah. of influences um, that whole like ecosystem and process.
0: Yeah. I mean, those are good questions. And those are the questions that I really wrestled with when I was writing this book because, you know, as I said earlier, I wanted readers to have some sort of practices or concepts that were clear enough that they could then go and do something with them. Um, while at the same time, I wanted to underscore that all of our practices are are, are arbitrary, you know, until they're not and, and vice versa. And so, um, you know, when it comes to, Like Google Docs, for example, like that's just to me, like and and to like my friend John that I write with all the time, that's just an easy space for us to get our work done. But certainly, it's not. You know, I I would never, I would never. You know, I'm not someone who's going to go on Twitter and like argue why this platform is better than this other one or or what have you. Um, That idea of triangulation is important because that's actually where. For me, when when I am co, when when I'm writing with someone else, what I'm looking for, what I'm anticipating, is that moment when this document that we're co-producing, when and it, it it is usually, I mean, it's usually, it usually is a moment that I can actually kind of, at this point, I can kind of stop and like notice. It's that moment when suddenly, it's no longer my pieces and my writing partner's pieces. It's now this third kind of thing that that you know it's i mean it's it's again it's this object that now exists unto itself that you know the ideas and intentions that i had for it now this shared object is kind of functionally saying i don't want to do be that anymore right and it's saying that in a way that for me it's saying well you know i don't want to have to go back like start from scratch. I'm interested in where this text is going. And again, it's in that moment where I, st- I might be able to go and like point to ideas or lines or paragraphs that were originally mine, but in that ecosystem of that Google doc combined with the, the pieces that my writing partner has contributed combined with how we're now making sense of those, like all, all the, all, all, you know, all of a sudden, you know, this, This writing that might have at one point been mine, quote unquote, again, it's now this third space. It's now exists in this third space. It's this object that I don't control in the same ways. And for me, that's the most exciting moment in a collaborative writing project because that's when I know that this thing that's growing, like this is why I choose to co-author. It's to discover ideas I didn't know I had, which is even – even that's not even a good way of describing it, right? It's discovering ideas that I didn't know were possible. That 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 were ideas I could think until they presented themselves to me. And and to, and to get to your question about like the agency of these things, this is where I think you know keeping a risky account is so important because um, you know at the end of the day, it's up to the collaborators to decide what the agency is of this document. You know, I talk about an emerging text as this agentic object that has agency, right? But I don't want to, you know, I don't want anyone to be confused here in the sense that I think that we could talk about it in in sort of objective ways. Um, Again, it's why I think somewhere else in the book, I say that for co-authors who are unwilling to sort of own and account for their processes, there are tons of people outside of that collaboration who are more than happy to account for it. Who are more than happy to say, <laughs> oh, well, well, your name's first, so you're more important. That's how we're going to account for that work. Or, you know, mm-hmm. um, this is a grad student. And so obviously, since you're writing with a senior scholar, even, the, you know, we're just going to assume the grad student was less important than the senior scholar, right? Like, there, there are tons of people outside of a collaboration who are more than willing to own the process, the processes that that you experienced in composing a document and so you know when when we talk about the agency of a text or keeping a risky account like essentially what i'm saying is that you know just you know just own it just just why don't you take take charge as co-authors and say this is what i think this is why i think this text is better than some of its parts here is why these processes shouldn't be atomized into their you know like singular points of origin um, which is not to say that there aren't collaborative texts that that we can do that. Um, I recently contributed, helped write a, a a book chapter where I think there were like eight or nine co-authors, and it was a process that was very linear. That you know I I can point to the sections of text that I quote unquote wrote. Um, that doesn't minimize any of my arguments. I think about the value of co-authorship. Just just because some texts can be composed in that sort of ad hoc you know like we're gonna put push these pieces together right like sure of course so some texts can but but as i but again like typically the more um conventional or procedure oriented the text itself the easier it is to write that way right which is why mm-hmm. sort of if you're writing let's say maybe a grant application you know like co-authoring a grant application for experienced scholars is not that difficult because again, the process is so generic, you know, and when you have a generic process, it's easier to manipulate those generic, um, you know, points and levers, I would say. But again, like when you're writing, you know, when you're, you know, when when you go to a conference and you meet some person who's into the same thing and you go and you have coffee afterwards and you start talking about your shared interest and, oh my gosh, like we should write about this or whatever. Like, okay, well, you know, all of us have those moments, but there's not a generic procedure available for taking those interests and combining them in ways that just are going to automatically result in a collaborative text. So
1: yeah, I like, or I, I would definitely note that maybe grant writing because it is inherently
0: procedural. it's
1: not make it not arduous, <laughs>
0: No, it's right.
1: Yes, easy <laughs> in one yeah. way. Um. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. It's definitely arduous. Um, it's also why I, you know, I, I, I write so few. I, I apply for so few grants because the writing is so boring. I think in a lot of ways, but but yeah, it's definitely not to, creative or collaborative or
1: experimental. Or I don't want
0: to. I don't want to anger anyone who really loves grant writing. So
1: there's an arch to it. Um, but I liked what you said about like going sort of beyond owning. And I think you have a quote that's like, or I remember reading this it was like, um, like go beyond owning and instead like owning up to yeah. like your responsibilities and yeah. like what is like answerability to what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that maybe ties, but I, I feel like or something that you said earlier about like, Oh, if you think you're going to have like this good collaboration, like maybe the first thing that you do is like write that weird thing. Like, you make that risky account when you make a new collaboration just to like iron everything out.
0: Yep. Yeah. I think um, it's a... yeah, no, I do. And, and, and again, I said, you know, I, I mean, and again, I, I think this is where I am interested in. I mean, I love talking to other people who co-author because I really am interested in, in that shadow work in that chat, you know, in that minor labor, if you want to call it that. Um, mm-hmm. because, again, like there's, you know, when my friend, so, um, John Pell and I have been writing together since graduate school. And so, you know, we don't like, I'm not as deliberate with our collaborative writing projects because there's such an intimacy and a long history of work there that really you're just sort of jumping back into the same pool. But I do think, um, you know, when Um, when you're undergoing, when you're undertaking a a new project with someone you haven't written with, I do think there's immense value in just slowing down up front and just talking about what potential value there would be and just tracking the processes of, you know, of, of that work together, if for nothing else, so that down the road, if, this does become, you know, if you are a pre-tenure or contingent faculty or something like that. But like if for nothing else, it's a way something for you to come back to and, you know, again it's it's a it's a rhetorical resource of sorts that you can leverage to sort of promote your work, to promote to promote the, its value not despite the fact that it was co-authored, but because of it. Um mm-hmm. And, and, and again, though, but again, I'm also just like, again, like I, you know, I teach, right. Like I love, you know, I, I'm the person who goes and like, anytime a writer that I love writes a book about writing, I know it's kind of cliche, right? Like we have so many books about writing, but I love thinking metacritic, metacritically about writing. So anytime, you know, I have a colleague who writes a blog post about the writing process or anytime, I mean, I, I come back to Stephen King's memoir on writing all the time. I don't really, I'm not really a, Big Stephen King reader, right? But 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 I love that memoir so much. I'm almost again in a lot of ways. I'm more interested in the processes that go into the work that people do than than the work itself, which is odd to say in the sense that I'm a a professor. But you know, I I I joke with students with my grad students. Say I'm not really a researcher. Um, I just like to write about the work of research, um, Mm -hmm. which is sort of. Um, yeah, I, I it's I don't know if I use that as a as a crutch or what, but but here I am. <laughs> I
1: guess it makes me curious, like where where is like scholarly communications taking collaborative writing?
0: Like what, what sort of directions are, are collaborations going in? Yeah, I mean, well, I think, you know, as I mean, here's the thing, right? Like the, the fact of the matter is that it is now the norm in higher education. Like co authorship is the norm. Um and mm-hmm. even in Disciplines that historically have been dominated by single authorship—it's um, becoming increasingly more difficult to have draconian policies that sort of punish people for collaborating. You know, and there's lots of reasons for this. I mean, if you're in the social sciences or the or the physical sciences, I mean, it just takes so many resources to conduct research. You know, that like you can't not co-author, so to speak. Um, you know, the, the technologies we have available make it increasingly, um, easier, not, not necessarily easier in that sense of ease of use, right. But, but easier in the sense that there are more resources that, that you can leverage to do the work itself. As far as where, you know, in terms of scholarly communication, where it's going, I, I don't know, but I do think, um, there's like we're gonna have to have some some, some hard conversations about attribution, about mm-hmm. reward, um, because especially especially in the humanities, I think where um, increasingly there are people who want to co-author, but they don't necessarily have the language or um, the models available to them. And so, if anything, I I hope more people will aspire to contribute to this emerging language that can be adapted to navigate this work. Oh, and I hope that they will contribute to producing models that can be studied and referenced as resources that promote collaborative writing.
1: Yeah. So maybe as a note, I know at least in like um, uh, a lot of the physical sciences, there's this thing called like ORCID that you can like tie your name to and like attribute the different things that you do. Um, And that seems like a, Maybe, I don't know if it's a, if you think it's useful too, but I think it's kind of interesting to sort of like, uh, not that labeling, I think labeling can fall into that sort of yeah system of game, gamifying it, but it does seem like a a way to, or like a stepping stone to yeah, I mean, having those
0: it's, type of attributions. No, I- Absolutely. And I think that they I mean, mm-hmm. you know, actually in, in some of the physical sciences, um, especially uh, in some of the journals that are, that, that follow the American Medical Association's style guide, they have, I mean, over the last five or 10 years, many of them have been adopting editorial policies that explicitly require their articles to include some sort of qualitative statement of attribution um which you know it, it, it you know it, it might be generic right like again with any time you try to standardize something you invite you know generic practices right and so but but i mean again like in and of itself i don't think there's anything wrong with that i mean to to be able to say that there's 15 people who contributed to this research study and to say that you know authors 1 2 and 3 helped design the study authors 4 5 and 6 helped process the results Authors seven and eight wrote the draft. Like I mean, I think all of that is certainly useful, especially when it, especially in let's say some of these fields where scholarly work manifests in really important but different kinds of roles. I think that's absolutely important. Um, again, I think as someone who who comes from and teaches in humanity, teaches in the humanities. I think that like, this is where I I think I'm most interested in in seeing some of this change work happen because I mean, we have been for, you know, I mean what, since the sixties, our theorists have been telling us that the single isolated author is a fiction, but in practice we've just, you know, we've just been running full steam ahead with, with that myth. Um, And so, you know, again, like it's, When, for example, like if you have two historians coming together to write, I mean, it's not a matter of who designs the research project and who processes the results. I mean, in that kind of work, it's Mm -hmm. about, you know, how do you combine your, you know, different years of experience and perspectives and kind of harness them in ways that are inventive um, and productive of ideas and insights that it's not that you couldn't have had by yourself, but you're having now because of, because they're, you know, um, embedded with and producing sort of new a new habitus, you know, with which to view your subject of, of inquiry. Again, it's not easy to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. there is no magic formula for doing that. It, you just do it. And so, you know, it's like, again, like, it's like all those, mentors out there telling their grad students to just put their ass in the chair and write because at the end of the day if you just get words on the page something is going to happen something organic is going to happen it's the same way you know um I, but again when you write together it's it's more risky especially if you don't have models especially if you aren't guaranteed that that labor is going to be recognized in ways that maybe it would be if you were writing by yourself so um so yeah so i guess that that's where i find myself and that's where that your your, your earlier question about the future of collaboration and some of these discussions, I, you know, I, I don't know, but I know this is where I would like to see it happen. I'd like to see more sort of humanist and, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and people who, who do sort of write, um, less, less qualitative research. I, I would like to see them sort of stepping up and really exploring and promoting the work of, of collaborative writing.
1: Yeah. I love that. I'd hope to see that. I hope to see that too. Mm-hmm. So maybe as like a as a final question, what can uh, readers expect from you next?
0: Oh gosh, um, well, uh, my friend John and I are in the early stages of what I think we we are anticipating um, to be a a, a book project um, about um, sort of the politics of civility in public debate. Mm-hmm. Um, we're sort of interested in in getting it getting at those discussions through a new materialist lens. Um, We're starting that. And um, yeah. And then right now I'm, I'm, uh, I I just finished a project with another friend of mine, Jacob Babb, um, about, about um, the, the, the it's, it's a book chapter that focuses on um, the ways that teachers of writing sort of respond to um, kind of, public critics of composition sort of it's, it's, the, you know, um, whenever you see a piece in the Chronicle of higher education or inside higher ed about how we're teaching students writing all wrong. We, we just finished an article about this kind of like, how do we sort of productively engage with those arguments? So that's what I'm working on right now and we'll, we'll see what happens.
1: That's cool. Yeah. I don't want to push or make you speed up yeah. the process. Right. And you keep it, keep yeah. it slow and steady. Um, but thank you for, um, meeting with me and having this great, great discussion. You, and I really enjoyed
0: it. I appreciate all of your really good questions.
1: Yeah. Thank you. And have a good semester great. as well.
0: Thanks.